I'm talking to Claudia Reisner, who is running for State Senate in New Mexico. Welcome to Women's Focus. Thank you so much, Susan. It's really a pleasure to speak with you today. Let me say that on this show, on Women's Focus, we talk from time to time about women in the military. And so I was especially interested that you have a military background. Tell us a little bit about that. You were in the Navy. I sure was. When I graduated from college, I went right to work in Chicago and was enjoying my job in advertising. And about three years into it, I wasn't enjoying it so much. And I looked around and literally went to all the military recruiters And I ended up with the Navy because it was the most interesting to me. And I thought I would try it for four years. I came home and told my folks I was living in the city and they were not. My dad was aghast and said, what? Oh, we can help you get out of that contract. And I said, no, absolutely not. And for the next 29 years, I loved it. And my folks came and visited me everywhere and they were very proud of me. So it just ended up being a really good fit. I like change. I like getting paid the same as men for the same work. And I like moving around. And I like serving, you know, a mission and a purpose kind of bigger than myself. And the military certainly is that. Well, one of the women I'm talking to about the military says that it's the most male-dominated organization in the world. And it sounds as though you... You found it that way even though you did get paid the same as men. I mean, it is. Obviously, yes, she's right. I would agree. It is male-dominated. But there is room for women, and women are there. And I think with all the changes in the laws over probably the last 50 years, we feel pretty much like peers and equals. The beauty of it is you are promoted based on the job you do and the needs of the Navy, and you can keep moving up, you know, it's not completely equal, but it was equal pay, and and I promoted on time, and I had lots of opportunities, and I really enjoyed it. And I enjoy working with men. I enjoy working with everybody, basically. And I like it when people are focused on the job, and there's a sense of urgency and a sense of importance. And I think those are a couple of things that really stood out for me in the Navy, at least. And did you find that there were women who could be mentors as well? Or um, women that you could work it, with? Who, who would be mentors? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I was a mentor for women and for men. Absolutely. I think that senior people tend to want to help junior people, especially those junior people who are really working hard and want to get ahead and show some potential. You love to help them, and if people are struggling, then you want to work with them and try to help them overcome whatever the issues are and see if the military can remain a good fit for them. Yes, I had a lot of wonderful mentors that really made all the difference in the world for me. And you traveled a lot in the diplomatic area, as I understand. I traveled quite a bit in the Navy. I moved 19 different times, a number of different duty stations. I was stateside for a while. I was in California, both in San Diego and Monterey, and then I moved to Washington, D.C., and then I got my first overseas posting. It was Diego Garcia, and I really enjoyed that. That was strictly working with the Navy and uh, the Military Sealift Command, 
which was the merchant marines that we keep prepositioned out there for immediate deployment to whatever operations we have in the area. And then as I moved through, I was a fleet support officer. And because they still had the combat exclusion rules in place when I joined and well into my career, I wasn't able to serve on a ship or submarine or fly aircraft. So I worked ashore, and I enjoy that. And the specialty was called fleet operations, and that's a line officer, not a staff officer. The distinction with a staff officer is like a, a lawyer or a doctor or a chaplain, somebody who you know really works their specialty. Whereas a fleet support officer, I worked in operations and training, and recruiting, military sealift, lots of different things. I went to uh, command. I had four different commands uh, in my career. And then I specialized as a foreign area officer. And that's what you're referring to. We were kind of the diplomats of the fleet. And I specifically um, worked in Asia and Europe. Those were my specialty areas. So I was posted to a couple of the embassies that we had overseas. And then when you decided to come to New Mexico, was that retiring to New Mexico, you and your husband? Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of people ask me that, you know, how the Navy <laughs> end up here in New Mexico? And it's funny because I run into a lot of sailors, a lot of retired military former, you know, Navy people here. I was actually stationed here as the executive officer of a recruiting command. And we recruited all over New Mexico and Arizona. The headquarters were out of Albuquerque. I hadn't been here before, and I lived here for about two years, bought a house in the Four Hills area. My husband and I got married here. We traveled around because I had to visit all the different – we had about 122 different recruiting outposts, you know, with the sailors working on bringing young people into the Navy. And actually, New Mexico just recruited Rick and I. We just fell in love with it. (laughs) And we said, you know, let's keep the house – and we're going to come back. So we kept the house as a rental property mm-hmm. and literally 23 years later came back to it and moved right in, liked it, but thought, you know, let's just go a little east, have a little more land. So we're 20 minutes east of that. We're now living in the East Mountains, and we're renting that house out again. So, yeah, that's how <laughs> we ended up coming back to New Mexico. Well, and if you were all ready to retire and come back here, what made you decide that you wanted to go into the Senate, which is sort of getting into another arena? Yeah, yeah. I've been asking myself that question for about the last 11 months. Um, <laughs> you know, Rick and I, we moved about 19 times, and whenever we would get somewhere, we would volunteer and try to get out and meet people in the community quickly because, you know, you don't stay there very long. So it's kind of become a pattern. When we moved out to the East Mountains, we started to volunteer, met a lot of people, and a couple of folks said, you know, you ever thought about running for office? And I really had not ever, ever, ever contemplated it. And they said, well, you know, you got some good skill sets, and we would like you to run. So I spent about three months in the summer Last summer, thinking about it, met with some people, met with former Senator Dee Dee Feldman, talked to her at length, Jessica Velasquez, a lot of people, and decided that, yeah, we got a lot of issues here in New Mexico, and I would like to be part of the solution. And I think government can solve some problems, and government working with the private sector can really help get things done. And it feels to me like New Mexico is kind of at a tipping point here. 
I mean, we're going to be coming off of oil and gas. The world's doing it. We're going to do it. We're getting into a whole new future, diversifying our economy, you know, going with a clean energy, less extractive, less economically extractive, and we could really do a lot with that. So I'm kind of excited about it. I think this is going to be a wonderful time, you know, to serve up in the roundhouse. So I'm looking forward to it, Susan. You talk about using some of the same skills that you developed over the years in the legislature, and you talk about that on your website. So let's let listeners know a little bit about what you think might translate into a good Senate experience. Sure. Well, um, so leadership, for one, you can lead people, you can you can build teams, you can get people to come together. You focus on a mission, you envision where you want to end up, and then you get people thinking about all the different alternatives and explore them and choose one and go with it. And when I retired from the Navy, I went back to school and I got a Ph.D. using the post-9-11 GI Bill. And, boy, talk about research, writing a dissertation. You know, that's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But researching, leadership, communications. I think I communicate well, and a big part of that is listening. And I've been listening to people since last August, calling them. I used to knock on doors, meet them in person. What issues are important? What matters to you here? We've got, say, a dozen things that we need to work on. How would you prioritize those? And why? Why is that more important? Why is rural infrastructure more important to you right now than education or healthcare or whatever. And it, and it turns out so many of them are interrelated. We see now with COVID that with students trying to learn at home and teachers trying to teach from home and parents trying to work from home, rural infrastructure is key. We have to have reliable broadband. We've got to have better coverage for our cell phones. We need all of that. So I... I like to research and learn about things. I like to speak with subject matter experts and get their opinions. And then I really like to talk to people who have a completely different opinion to find out where the holes are and where we might need to shore something up and make it stronger or where we need to consider another option that maybe we hadn't thought of because we have too many like-minded people sitting around and talking to each other. I'm a good negotiator. I so you sort of like the opposition then too. I do. Oh, of course. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> it makes it stronger. You know, if we're not talking to people with different opinions, we don't understand their perspective and we end up really making our message not relevant to a much wider audience. Um, I was going to say I'm also a good negotiator. I've worked, you know, in selling weapon systems. I worked in negotiating different maritime security arrangements with other navies overseas. So I think all those skill sets are going to work well in the Senate. You talked about going to possible constituents early, or you, obviously you can't do that now as much. The district is just enormous. I, there, you have a map <laughs> on your website, and I looked at it, and it's not only enormous, it's very different in different areas, too. So have you been able to get around and and deal with this enormous place? Yeah, yeah, it's uh 
it's really fabulous. It's just, it's a diverse tapestry of people. So a quarter of the voters of Senate District 19 actually live in the city. It's very densely populated, southeast Albuquerque, south of central, east of Eubank. But then three-quarters of the voters live in this gigantic, sparsely populated rural area, you know, south of Harris, south of Moriarty, all the way out to Klein's Corners, up to Stanley, mm-hmm. up almost to Madrid, and then down Route 14. So I started going out and meeting people last October, and I was knocking on doors in the city, and I was driving my car around and being driven around out here in the rural areas. I've talked to farmers and ranchers, people living in trailers, people living in, you know, large homes up in Paco and San Pedro Creek and some of the housing developments in the city. I went and worked all 224 apartments in an apartment complex on Eubank. So I've been out meeting a lot of people and I'm still in touch with people. I just have to do it by phone. So it's not as interesting physically because you just sit here and call. But when I talk to people, we still have very engaging conversations. I've been thinking about the differences that you might encounter between your experience in the Navy and the legislature. And I think that sometimes it might look as though the way you did things in the Navy is is the right way, but that there may be kind of hidden sources of power, hidden things going on in the legislature that are not as upfront as things seem to have been in the Navy. And I wonder if you've thought about what differences you might find. Yes, I have. And, you know, it's not that we necessarily did things the right way in the Navy. It's that the way (laughs) we did things in the Navy was right for the Navy. And I think what you're talking about is really the rank. You know, everything is very hierarchical and regimented and disciplined. So In the Navy. Where you're. In the Navy, exactly. So you yeah. wear your rank on your shoulder or on your sleeve. And, and we know our positional authority. But I learned, actually going back to school, that the academic world is completely different. They're very oh. casual, and they don't, they don't talk about their rank. Everybody's very, you know, first-name basis. But I learned there is a tremendous hierarchy. They're just a little sneaky about it. And I had to figure it out, and I asked a couple of, you know, my mentors who are on my dissertation committee, so what is the difference between all these different, you know, adjutant, assistant, full professor, department head, and all that, and they laid it out. They said, yeah, it's a real minefield. You need to learn it and navigate it. So (laughs) I think between that and the Navy, it's, it's not that I will go into the Senate knowing exactly what to do, but I can figure it out. And I think I've already met some wonderful people, you know, in the Senate who have kind of said, well, you know, here are all these different committees, interim committees, and the whip and the majority lead and all these different positions. So I'll work with it. It, It's okay. It doesn't have to be structured. You know, everything runs its own kind of right way. Well, of course, Dee Dee's written a book about the legislature and about how things happen up there. So she's a good person to talk to about that. She's wonderful, and I read the book before I met with her because I didn't want to oh. ask her questions, you know, that were already in her book. Yeah, it was very helpful. She's written two, and they're really good. And as a woman being in the Senate back then, she had some interesting insights, and I think there were some similarities that she may have experienced 
that I certainly saw when I was in the Navy as a woman. Oh, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what you are thinking or expecting as a woman in the legislature or what you may be referring to? Well, her book, you know, covers the period that she was in, which is a while ago now, and I think there were less women in then, and she would say that, gee, I thought I was going to a meeting in a certain place, and it turns out it was actually happening in a bar, and they were all smoking cigars, and I didn't get the memo. And I think (laughs) I certainly remember some of those situations. You know, when I was a junior officer at a ward room, and I thought things were supposed to be a little more up front, and, and they weren't. But, you know, there's a little bit of harassment for junior people, and rank has its privilege, and you figure it out, and And then it works. I found men to be very accepting once you focus on the work and you want to get things done together, and as long as you keep it professional. And the military, I found to be very good in having strict protocol. If someone is stepping out of line, then you just say it. This is inappropriate. I'm not comfortable with what you're saying. And They step back and apologize, and you move forward, and you let it go. Or if they don't, well, then there's a chain of command, and you can deal with it that way. But most of the time, it's just a little bit of adjustment, you know, with bringing in different groups of people to an organization. And mm-hmm. I have found that it, it makes it much richer uh, with the diversity and the variety of the perspectives. So it, it enriched the Navy as it did the military. I can't think of an organization where that wouldn't uh, be the case, Susan. Mm -hmm. Well, in this day and age, certainly people are more aware and probably more willing to say you're right or we'll redo this or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about the issues that you are interested in following? Oh, absolutely. In working, not following, you won't be, I'm the one who follows things, (laughs) in in working in. No, no, of course. Um, So obviously one of my issues certainly is going to be an advocate for veterans. You know, my heart's going to be with the military for the rest of my life. And we need to take care of them. They've got different needs than the civilian sector of our society. Uh, Veterans and military family have given up a lot, sometimes a tremendous amount, and we need to help them make sure that they get access to the federal programs that they're entitled to. So we've got wonderful bridging programs here, and I think we could use a little more coordination, kind of an overall umbrella that might help some of those bridging or local organizations take care of our veterans. Another one uh, is rural infrastructure. I do live out in the East Mountains here. We've got wonderful Internet, and the people two doors down, down the hill, They don't because they don't have line of sight to Sandia. It it Mm -hmm. just needs to be uniformly brought out to the rural parts of our country and our state like electricity was last century. It's no longer a luxury. It's absolutely a necessity. So however we do that with federal assistance or through some kind of a private-public partnership, it just needs to happen. Education is huge. I know that there was a significant problem with funding during the austerity years after the Great Recession, 
And it takes a long time to stand those programs back up and to rehire or try to retain quality educators. So we need to continue to focus on that because education is just, it's the foundation of our, it's the foundation of a child's life and it's a foundation of society and it's our hope for a better future. And we need that in New Mexico. I would love to see more students come out of, you know, graduate with their degrees or from a trade school or whatever craft that they're learning and fall right into a job here and stay here. And if we can offer some debt relief on loans, some forgiveness for staying and working locally and even rurally for a few years, I think that's a good investment. And I know that a lot of people a little bit younger than me who have kids who are coming out of school, they want them to stay here, but they can't find jobs. And I was mm-hmm. talking to uh, one of the wind turbine manufacturers and asking about what kind of jobs they were going to bring. And they said, oh, here are all the list of jobs, these engineers. And on. I said, how many have you hired? And he was a little evasive. And I said, well, why? And he goes, you don't have them here. We had to bring them in from Texas. We hired. We don't have the engineers? We don't have those engineers here. So I would like to see partnerships between companies and C&M or UNM or whatever schools so that as children are getting in, students are getting into their second and third year, they're thinking about what they want to do for employment. And we can try to line them up with an internship for a year or two. Maybe they're an intern and then their first year out of college, they have a job in that business. And then they would probably keep them. So I just think we need to be a little more creative and try to work on linking education directly with employment. And then employment, I really want to diversify our economy. I think Mm -hmm. we need to get off the boom and bust cycle of oil and gas. It's just crippling our budget. And we've seen it over and over. So that needs to end. We need to attract more businesses, and we need to further strengthen some of the businesses that are here. So those are some of my priorities. Healthcare, of course, is a big one. We see with COVID what an advantage we as a state had because people could go and get free tests and they knew right away if they had COVID or not or within a few days, whereas some other states, the tests are $140, $300. We just need to have better coverage, better access, and then that goes to better rural infrastructure so that we can have telemedicine so people can go to their local provider but have access to that specialty care through telemedicine. So there are a lot of different issues, but they all link into each other as we try to find kind of a holistic change and rebuild for a new paradigm here as Mm -hmm. we get into the January session for 2021. The Women I've been interviewing, the candidates who I've been talking to, my listeners are interested about reproductive choice and about family medical leave. I support both of those. We certainly had sick leave and maternity leave and leave all paid for in the military. I saw that when people aren't ill and they're able to stay home, they recover faster. They don't infect people in the workplace. And they have to get paid because they continue to pay their bills. You don't get a holiday from paying bills because you're not feeling well. So paid leave, paid sick leave is very important. 
uh, women should have the right to make choices about reproduction. That isn't something that the government needs to have a role in. Okay. I guess one thing I would say is I'm really encouraged by seeing how many women are running for office. Mm. I applaud it. I think women work together well, and I have tremendous uh, optimism and hope for what we can do, not just in New Mexico, but across the country. I think we need to have women representing us in all fields and jobs possible that reflect the proportion of our population. And I feel the same way about racial diversity, ethnic diversity, and all diversity. The more different perspectives that we bring together to sit at a table, to form a team, to train together, to bond, to agree that we've got goals we want to attain and we get there together, the stronger we're going to be for it. When I call voters, I don't talk to Democrats. I'm calling Republicans and independents because that's who I need to speak with here in my district. And we have the same issues. We have the same goals in fixing those issues. We've got different ideas on how we want to fix them and what that's going to take. But when we just talk about issues together, everyone I speak with, especially out here in these mountains, it's rural infrastructure, it's diversity and our economy, it's all those same issues. And even in the city, crime's a little more of a of an issue there. But we all have the same problems and we all want New Mexico to be better. We just have to sort out the difficult process of agreeing on how to get there. So I like more diversity and different opinions at a table working things out. Um, I think that makes us stronger and more resilient. Well, that's a great so, note to end on. <laughs> okay. So, so I would say I encourage more women to get out there and do something, even if you never thought you were going to do it. I never thought I would do this. I never thought I was going to join the military. And they were two of the best decisions I ever made. So, so go for it. Try it. We don't have much to lose, and we've got a lot to gain. 